The reading is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. You can follow this on page 918 in the Church Bibles. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Idda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the saints of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside, beside him, weeping and showing, him, showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days, with one Simon, a tanner. Here ends the New Testament reading. To take a seat again, and it'd be really helpful, I'm sure, for you to grab a Bible and look back up to Acts uh, chapter 9. And as you do that, uh, let me, um, let's put a, a picture up on the screen, and let me ask you whether you remember this. Anyone remember the space shuttle launches. Anyone watch that when they were younger? Uh, some of you are looking quizzical. Can any of you remember when you were younger? Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Uh, so, sorry, it's starting to get the problem for me. That's for, that's for sure. But I used to love these when I was a boy. I used to love watching these launches. It was so exciting. Ten, nine, eight. Uh, the, the shuttles on the launch pad, fueled and ready to go. Seven, six. Five. The engines start, you can see the smoke kind of buffeting up and even a little flicker of flame there. Four, three, two, one. We have liftoff off to the stars on an almost unimaginable adventure. And I want to say that that's where we are in the book of Acts this morning. If you've been coming along regularly to these morning services, I'm hoping that you remember the big theme of this book is the spread of the gospel to all people in all places, from Jerusalem out to Judea and Samaria and on to the ends of the earth. And we've been swimming around in Judea and Samaria for a few chapters. And we're now 
at the gate of the most significant turning point in all of history, on the very edge of punching through to the ends of the earth. So last week, we saw the conversion of Saul, who God says is his chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles. And we're going to follow him on that journey as he heads on into Europe to spread the gospel there. But for now, we're on the launch pad. The engines are on, just starting to rumble. But we haven't got liftoff just yet. Instead, what we get is two little stories which at first glance might seem like a bit of an interruption. Or almost a little distraction from where we're heading. Firstly, we have Aeneas, healed after being bedridden for eight years. Eight long years of paralysis. And then we have the much-loved Dorcas, also known as Tabitha, resurrected from the dead. But in both cases, the result is, verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Uh, Verse 41, and it became known throughout all Joppa, And many believed in the Lord. Did you see? (laughs) This is not an interruption. Uh, The miracles aren't actually the end point Luke, the writer of Acts, wants us to see here. Neither is it the amazing ministry of Peter or of Tabitha, (laughs) Uh, though we mustn't miss the impact of her Christ-like compassion. No. The main thing Luke wants us to see, is that these miracles are signposts to something bigger, something better than the miracles themselves. The risen Lord Jesus, the Lord of life and death and sickness and disability, the Lord of all things and his power to draw people from all places to himself. You see, what's happening here is is Peter is putting Jesus on display for everyone to see. Firstly, by following Jesus' example. I mean, if you've read the Gospels, I hope you've read the Gospels. If you haven't, you've got to read the Gospels. Uh, But I wonder if these miracles remind you of anything, if you have, or anyone. Like in Mark 2, when Jesus heals a paralytic, what does he command him to do? Pretty much the same thing Peter commands Aeneas to do. Rise and make your bed. I suspect that if you're a parent of a teenager here, then as you read that, you're instantly thinking, if I could get my kids to do that in the morning, that would be an even bigger miracle than the healing. But don't get distracted by that. Instead, spot the similarities also between the raising of Tabitha here in Acts 9 and the raising of Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. In in both incidents, the the person who does the healing is, is, is absent. And they have to be called, come, come. Uh, And both Peter and Jesus, they they usher the noisy mourners out of the room. Get out. This is not show. Uh, And Jesus, he takes Jairus' daughter by the hand and he says in Aramaic, talithakum, which means little girl, get up. While Peter kneels and then prays and then says to the corpse, talithakum. I mean, the similarities, they're they're too close to be coincidental. 
Peter had seen the Lord Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead, and so he follows his master. He does what he does to the letter. So the obvious question is, well, should we do that also? I mean, these miracles back then were part of what brought people to faith in the Lord Jesus. So shouldn't we want miracles like these to accompany our stepping out in faith and sharing the gospel with people? Well, of course. Of course. And God can do anything. So we believe that he still can heal today. And we do pray for healing. But as we do that, we need to know here that narrative isn't normative. By which I mean, the fact that something happened back then and we read about it in scripture, it doesn't mean that it must or it will happen in the same way for us now. And these two miracles are a case in point in chapter 9 of Acts. Because the person who does them is an apostle. In other words, someone who's a unique eyewitness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Whom Jesus himself chose and issued his personal authority onto to be the original carriers of the gospel. Which means that there aren't any apostles in this room today. Paul was another apostle and, and he writes about the miracles that, uh, that they did in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, saying, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So he's, he's saying there, isn't he, that the sort of miracles we're reading about here, they were to authenticate, to, to mark out the authority of an apostle. The risen Lord Jesus empowered them to do things like this, as if to say, Listen to their claim to have seen me risen from the dead. Because you can see before your very eyes the evidence that I am alive and at work through them. In the Bible, these God-sent, uh, these God-sent miracles were given to identify the God-sent messages. And the reason the Bible calls them signs rather than miracles, we find that quite often in the Bible, is to show that their main purpose is to point somewhere else. I mean, that's the point of a signpost, isn't it? Uh, like, have you ever been to St. James's Park? I'm sure loads of you have been to St. James's Park or, or the Theatre Royal for a show. I mean, come on. Uh, or Chinatown for a yummy meal if you haven't been hit by the first two. Or, or at least you've been for a, a stroll down the quayside, haven't you? But I expect that as you have, if you try to go out and do something like that, you, you haven't stood at the side of the road and marveled at these signposts, going, wow, these are amazing, um, uh, instead of actually traveling on to your destination. Or at least I hope you haven't. <laughs> I feel really sad. <laughs> and in the same way, we need to be wary of making more of these gospel signposts than of the one that they point to. So as we pray for healing, and we must do that, for we know that nothing is impossible for God. But as we do so, we should do so without claiming the same unique authority and to be in the same unique context as Jesus and his apostles. And we do so with the end in mind, 
not for our own comfort and protection. Not so that people will marvel at our great display of faith, but to put Jesus on display, like Peter does. Secondly, by trusting Jesus' lordship over sickness. I mean, have a closer look at verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There we find a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And I think it's safe to assume that, uh, safe to assume that Aeneas was one of the Christian believers at Lydda. And if you consider that Christianity was only really a few months old, a handful of months old at this point, then he must have become a Christian while he was still a paralytic. Which I think is a great reminder that the Lord Jesus can bring people to trust in him even when they're struggling with serious illness or disability. Now, why do I say that? Well, because I think it's our natural tendency to look at people struggling in that kind of way and think that it would be impossibly hard to share the gospel with them. And so we don't even try. <laughs> we, we think to ourselves, oh, the moment I mention God to them, then they're just going to go, well, why do you let this happen to me? But remember, the big picture message of Acts is that the Lord wants the gospel to go to all kinds of people across all the barriers that you could possibly think of. And so if our inability to talk biblically and sensitively about suffering is stopping us sharing the gospel with someone, then maybe we need to do some reading and thinking and preparation and learn how to do that better. But above all, we need to believe that Jesus can reach anyone a while back I read the testimony of a guy who was paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair after an accident playing rugby. He said, I have no idea why this happened to me. But what I do know is that worse things happen than this happen to people every day in this fallen world. And even if I never walk again in this life, I will be more able-bodied beyond it when Jesus raises me from the dead. And that taught me unforgettable, unforgettably that the Lord Jesus is perfectly able to bring people to trust in him, even when they're suffering from serious sickness or disability. And that we shouldn't shrink back from sharing the gospel with them. So likewise, this man in Acts 9 had become a Christian while a paralytic. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And as this happened, Aeneas is getting a whole lot more than just the juice back in his legs. He and the church at Lydda are being given a foretaste of the wholeness that the salvation of Jesus Christ brings. As this miracle is meant to show us what will happen when Jesus comes again. It's a visible glimpse or a sign of Jesus' lordship over sickness for us to hold on to when, we experience, when, our, when our normal experience of Jesus is him being invisible to us. 
and of us being prone to sickness. Because being a Christian doesn't make us immune from the effects of this fallen world. And so when we pray for healing, which again I say we must do, we're not to look at Aeneas and say to ourselves, this is what I am guaranteed here, now, too. If only I have enough faith. No, we're primarily to, to look at Aeneas and say to ourselves, this is what it'll be like in heaven with Jesus in a new creation, with all sickness and suffering fully dealt with and gone. And that is what will sustain us if and when, well, not if, we're all going to get sick, aren't we? At some point or another. And this is what will sustain us in that. Or when we start to deteriorate physically as life goes on, which apparently you do from the age 25 onwards. And I'm now well and truly feeling it in the knees and the hips and the back. And some others of us are really starting to feel it even more as old age and infirmity sets in. But whether Jesus heals us, like in Aeneas' case, or, or we face sickness with no promise or certainty of healing, but simply by faith, we need to trust that Jesus is Lord over sickness. And we are in his hands. And so the challenge, therefore, is as, as we suffer, as we plod on, to bear testimony to Jesus either way, so that those around us see Jesus and are drawn to faith in him like the residents of Lydia, Lydda and Sharon were in verse 35. And as I say that, I think of a missionary that I know of who responded so calmly and peacefully to a cancer diagnosis that she simply prayed, your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. The hope that she had in Jesus and the trust in God's goodness that she showed throughout what followed next meant that she had the opportunity to draw a good couple of handfuls of people to faith in Jesus as a result. And I think that's the third way Peter puts Jesus on display here by trusting Jesus' lordship over death Look down now to verse 36, will you? Now, there was a, in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, which is a reminder of the normal experience of all believers until Jesus returns again. The missionary I just mentioned amazed everyone. Uh, not just with her peaceful security in the face of that diagnosis, but with the fact that actually she lived for another 20 years even though she was given just two months left on diagnosis. But eventually, she did die. For the risen Lord doesn't keep his people from dying. And that was even the case here in Acts 9, wasn't it? Tabitha died. But what the Lord Jesus did do here was he gave another sign, another signpost to show his power, not just over sickness, but over death too. 
And so again, I don't think we're supposed to look at Tabitha and say to ourselves, every time a believer dies, we should pray for a resurrection. I'm sure there are cases, and there's certainly been a recent case in which I've prayed that. But I think generally speaking, we're to look at Tabitha and say to ourselves, how good and comforting it is that Jesus is the kind and kingly Lord of all aspects of bereavement and death. And we see that here with the Christians in Joppa. They, they believed that, don't they, in verse 38? As we're told, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without de- delay. I, I mean, what's the purpose of sending folk to get an apostle? If you don't believe ultimately that Tabitha is not in the hands of death, but in the hands of Jesus. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside, uh, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other dark garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. I mean, you've just got to love Dorcas's compassion, haven't you? These people, are, these widows are literally clothed in her compassion. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. So here Tabitha is resuscitated back to this side of death. So we can have visible and tangible evidence for our faith to cling on to. But it's also a sign of the Lord Jesus' power to resurrect us onward to the invisible other side of death that we can't see yet. This incident is meant to show us that the Christians who've died are not just dead and gone. They are dead and with Jesus. They are in his hands. Which is why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And this scene in Acts 9 is a little cameo of what Paul is saying there. There is grief. Verse 39, there is weeping and deep sorrow when a Christian dies. Of course there is because of what we've lost. But as Paul put it, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Because although we're painfully aware of what we have lost, we are also joyfully aware, if they're a Christian, of what they've gained. And one day, of what we can join them in if we trust in Christ ourselves. 
And again, whether, as in this case, we ever see a miraculous resuscitation to this side of death, or, or we simply live as people of the promise of the resurrection, knowing that we can be drawn out to the other side through it. We can use whatever we go through to point people to Jesus and draw people to him. So I think of one Christian who was told by his consultant that he had cancer and they only had one year to live. And he responded by saying, you may not understand this, but to me, what you've just said is more of a sentence of life than a sentence of death. And and confidence like that in the face of sickness and, and ultimately in death can be just as compelling to our hopeless generation as these miracles here in Acts 9. Which is why a Japanese lady I know became a Christian actually through attending a Christian funeral. She was so taken by the hope and the peace that she saw there on display, not least in the songs. It was so powerful. It just intrigued her to want to find out more about what we believe. So whether in sickness or in death, put Jesus on display for everyone, folks. And whether the outcome of and whatever the outcome of your prayers, do so like Peter by giving all the glory to Jesus. I mean, Peter did not say, Aeneas, in the name of Jesus Christ, I heal you. Did he? No, rather, it said in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And likewise with Tabitha in verse 40, as we've already seen, he, he throws everyone out of the room. <laughs> this is not the greatest showman here. No, no, no. That's not what we're doing. I mean, think how Peter could have abused the power that the Lord had given him to perform these two miracles. He could have set up a tent and held services with a big banner outside saying, come see the amazing Peter and the wonders that he works. I mean, if he lived in our day, I mean, he would have surely written some kind of book and gone on chat shows to kind of promote himself. But, but nothing about Peter's ministry was supposed to bring glory to himself. No. He gave all the glory to Jesus and took none of it for himself. I was really struck at our midweek group this week when one of our group members talked about how, I can't quite remember exactly how she put it, but essentially she said, what often holds us back in our witnessing to others? And in our praying, it could be said also, in our praying for healing, is that we think it all depends way too much on us. And I wonder if that's one of the things that stops us from stepping out and sharing our faith. Or praying for what seems like the impossible to you. It's that we think it just depends too much on us. On the persuasiveness of our words or or our cleverness. On the strength of our faith even. When Jesus said, all you need to move mountains is faith just the size of a tiny mustard seed. And so like Peter, we need to depend totally on God's power to do what only God can do. 
and whether in life or death, in sickness or in health, trust in Jesus' lordship and give all the glory to his name. Let's do that now as we pray and then sing to close our service. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we must confess it's not just that we are tempted to think that it all depends on us as we step out and try to fulfill the mission you've given us. But we're often way too concerned about our own glory too. So help us to stop caring so much about what others think of us and care more about what we and they think of you May we, like these miracles, be signposts to the risen Lord Jesus in all his glory, that we may see and seek his glory in all things and treasure and trust in him and him alone. Amen.